0: Hebrews chapter 11. So if you want to get to Joshua 6 and Hebrews 11. Once again, I appreciated the guys that uh, covered Joshua while we were uh, in Mexico there for a few weeks. And it was neat to hear uh, Jason teach, Renee teach, Jonathan teach, and love hearing different perspectives on things. And love hearing different guys get up there to teach and so they've been building us up to this point here of the very famous story of Joshua 6, of the walls of Jericho coming down. Hey, let's pray. we get started. Joshua 6 in Hebrews 11. Lord, you wrote it. You teach it. We listen. Let your spirit lead, guide, and direct. And Lord, not only hear it, but to take it, apply it, to live it, and all that we say and do. Thank you for the time to be here tonight, Lord. In your name. Amen. All righty. Key. Thing you need to know about the walls coming down in jericho it's it's about faith and that's why i wanted you to go to that hebrews chapter 11 hebrews 11 is the great chapter on faith and hebrews tells us the story if you will of what happened in jericho take a look at hebrews 11 verse 30 by faith the walls of jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days right there's your answer by faith they fell down that's that's our focus tonight Keep that word in the back of your mind. The key point of everything is going to be faith. Faith when it doesn't make sense. Faith when you don't know the outcome. It's all about faith. Faith is a struggle for us. It really is. That's why if you look in Luke 17, the disciples told Jesus, increase our faith. That's why in Mark, in Mark chapter 9, when the father had his child dying, he said to the Lord, help my unbelief. It's a struggle for us. The thing about faith is we we got it down mentally. We know it, we believe it, we understand it. But when we have to come and actually apply it to life, it becomes really difficult. I would assume most of us here tonight probably would all agree in a literal six-day creation. We believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, that he rose again. We believe these huge things. God created the heavens and the earth out of nothing. He can raise the dead. We believe in the eternity of heaven, the eternity of hell. But yet we're worried about something at work tomorrow. We got the macro faith, big picture faith, but it's the micro faith. The day in, day out that we really struggle with. And I remember I had a Sunday school teacher 30 years ago teach me this. If you can believe Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, she goes, then you can believe anything else. If we can believe God created something out of nothing, there's absolutely nothing you are facing right now that is bigger than creating something out of nothing. There's nothing bigger than a man dying and rising from the dead for our sins. There's nothing bigger than that. So we know that. We got the macro. Now it's time to get the micro. Why is faith so important? Stay in Hebrews 11. Jump back to the beginning of Hebrews 11. The definition of faith according to the Bible is Hebrews 11.1. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Please understand the simplicity of that. You don't see it. It's faith. If you could see it, it's not faith. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. is It's faith because I don't see it. And even though I don't see it, I still believe it. And to back this up, look at the example God gives us in verse 3 of Hebrews 11. By faith we understand that the world's were framed by the word of God. So the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. That's the greatest example that the Bible gives us is creation. Which it should not surprise us then, when you read in Peter that one of the signs of end times is that men willfully forget creation. Because therefore the enemy is attacking this idea of creation. Because if we're not created, then we have no accountability to God. But if we are created by God, then there's an accountability. So you see creation being attacked. It's very interesting in Hebrews 11.3 that his first defense of faith is creation. But jump ahead a little bit more to verse 6. But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. It pleases God when you have faith. This is something the Lord's been working on me here for a while, is if it makes God happy, shouldn't I invest more time and energy into that? And it really hit me when I started thinking about that passage about where heaven rejoices over somebody getting saved. And I started thinking, I want heaven to rejoice. Heaven does not rejoice over when necessarily I do something or the church does something. And it's really easy, it's really easy as a church to get focused on a church. And and we really try to stress out here, it is not about Harvest Fellowship, it's about souls getting saved in Jesus Christ, being glorified. That's all that matters. And we want heaven to rejoice. So therefore, if heaven rejoices when people get saved, shouldn't that be our primary thing in life? As every person I run into, you're either saved or you're not. And as I'm talking to you, I'm just praying. And just, Lord, open a door that the gospel can be presented. And if they want to listen, we present it. And if the Lord leads, we present it. And I hope they want to receive it. But I see in verse 6, God is pleased when I have faith. He likes it when I trust Him. He likes it. You know, when we drove uh, out to Mexico, it was first day was, was a whole lot of fun. Uh, we drove to, uh, just wanted to get a few hours under our belt, so we took off late Thursday and we got to Terre Haute, Indiana, just on the other side of Indianapolis, and we decided we were going to try to save some money, so we slept, slept in a uh, Walmart parking lot, and um, that was fun for about an hour, and uh, then at 2 o'clock in the morning, it's like, what are we doing? It got down to 31 that night, and it's like, this is really cold, it's really cold, Next day wasn't, wasn't bad at all. I mean, because basically Indiana's like Ohio. Illinois is like Indiana, which is like Ohio. Finally, when you get to Missouri, it's like, oh, things look a little different. So we got to Oklahoma day two. I got uh, up and got ready to go Oklahoma. It's like, I don't want to go. <laughs> I'll stay in Oklahoma. And then as we drove through Oklahoma, we got to New Mexico. And it's like, oh, should have remembered from seventh grade geography. There's mountains out here. When we're from the flatness of northwest Ohio, the mountains are kind of fun to look at. And then when you start driving through them. And so we get down, and then we get through the mountains. We're in Phoenix, and we're staying at uh, Ron and Julie Momaier's house, if you remember them. And it's like, oh, we're through the mountains, amen. And then Julie, who's from California, says, oh, yeah, there's mountains you've got to drive through to California. There's more mountains? There's mountains all over down there. And then we've got to drive through southern California, who wants to drive through San Diego? Who wants to do that? So we finally get to Mexico, and we're in Mexico, and we got two weeks in Mexico. It's like, oh Lord, we're here. Amen. The next day I get up, and you know what I start thinking about? I gotta drive home. <laughs> I gotta drive back through Southern California, back through the mountains, back through the desert, back through the mountains again, then through New Mexico, and then through Texas, then finally get back to Missouri. And I just start thinking about that. And what happened was there was just this, oh Lord. We can't. This says another five days, the kids. And I spent a lot of time studying the generation that complained. Because they saw all the mighty works that God did. The Red Sea, the manna, the quail, the rock that brought forth water, their shoes did not wear. I mean, you know the whole list. And God, at the end, basically looks at them and says, I'm paraphrasing, I'm fed up with you. I have proven myself to you again and again and again, and it's still not good enough for you guys. And I thought, Lord, that's me. You have proven yourself to me again and again and again, and I'm still walking in fear, worry, and anxiety instead of faith. And so a lot of times you guys have come up to me, and you've said, hey, how is Mexico or whatever? And I try to say the same answer. God taught us a lot, and we're still chewing through it. And that's the honest answer. He taught us a lot. And I realized the first day that we got down to Mexico, the reason we were at Mexico was not to do anything for the Mexican people. God's already got people down there. It was for us, to teach us. So I sat there for a day saying, Lord, I drove 2,200 miles to learn a lesson I couldn't learn in northwest Ohio. It's like, yeah. So I went to Dawn and apologized to her. She didn't talk to me for two weeks. But the point is... We learned a lot. And, and I mean that. And, and so therefore, it was one of those things of, Lord, you have proven yourself again and again. And I want, I want you to hear this. Look at verse 6. Without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And I'm only speaking for myself. I have learned that when God has proven his faithfulness again and again, and I come back now in fear, worry, and doubt, I'm wrong. Because God does not have to keep proving himself to me again and again. God is good, God is faithful. And what we see here with Jericho now, going back, please, to Joshua 6, the reason their first major campaign militarily is for these walls to come down, is to teach Israel that through this military conquest, it is all God and not you. And he will remind them again and again, I took down the walls of Jericho. You can trust me. They will remind them, as Jonathan taught on, Got you through the Jordan River during flood stage. we Will remind them, I got you through the Red Sea. I gave you food. I gave you water. God's faithfulness constantly reminds them. And so, therefore, when they doubt, he's loving. He reminds them. But there's also a part of it that says, come on, guys. By you doubting this, you're not walking in faith. And that's disobedience. So I just want to remind you, when you have learned a lesson from the Lord in faith... Keep that lesson and remember that so that way when you go through things again, you don't jump back to this, oh, what about this? Wait a second, hasn't God proven his faithfulness to you? Okay, then he has, then let's keep moving forward. Remember, faith, you do it when it doesn't make sense. Faith is you do it when you don't know the outcome. If you're, if you're waiting for it to make sense and if you're waiting to know the outcome, then you're not walking in faith. The whole point of faith is you don't know. And that's what we have to do it. So I got two examples of this. Eventually we'll get to Joshua 6. Can you go with me to 2 Kings 13? It's a really strange passage, but it's a great passage about faith. 2 Kings 13. I don't want to run out of time, so as we're going to 2 Kings 13, I'm going to give you the other example, and you can look it up later. It's in Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. It's the story of Philip. Philip has this great ministry going on, and I believe it's in Antioch, and as he has this great ministry going in Antioch, God calls him out of it, and the Bible makes it clear, sends him to the desert doesn't make any sense. You guys are going to Second Kings 13. Then he's in the desert. He calls them to go overtake the chariot. And you know where the story goes. He talks to Ethiopian eunuch. That's faith for the Lord to pull you out of this fruitful place and then say, I'm sending you to the desert. Trust me. Okay, now I'm in the desert. What do you want me to do? Hey, you see that chariot over there? Go talk to that guy. It's a great example of faith, of just trusting when it doesn't make sense and when you don't know the outcome. Okay, take a look here at 2 Kings 13, verse 14. Elisha had become sick with the illness of which he would die. I don't want to get into this teaching point right now. It's not the main point of the lesson, but please remember that verse. Anytime you run into somebody who wants to push some type of positive confession, sometimes you get an illness which brings forth your death. It is a biblical concept. We are going to die. God heals. God's miraculous. Let's never forget that. But there's also times where God's plan is to say, I'm going to use this illness for a reason. You see that with Elisha. Elisha, who could raise the dead, got sick with an illness which brought forth his death. Then Joash, the king of Israel, came down to him and wept over his face and said, Oh, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and the horsemen. So here Elisha's on his deathbed. Verse 15. Elisha said to him, Take a bow and some arrows. So he took himself a bow and some arrows. Then he said to the king of Israel, put your hand on the bow. So he put his hand on it. And Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. He said, open the east window. And he opened it. Then Elisha said, shoot. And he shot. And he said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria. For you must strike the Syrians at Aphek till you have destroyed them. And he said, take the arrows. So he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground. So he struck three times and stopped. And the man of God was angry with him. And said, you should have struck five or six times. and you have struck Syria till you have destroyed it. But now you will strike Syria only three times. Now, if you read that at face value, you kind of feel bad for King Joash. It wasn't made clear to him. How is he supposed to know the symbolism of striking the ground, is striking Syria, and, you know, strike the ground? Oh, oh, okay smack, smack, smack. Then Elisha gets angry at him. Why didn't you do it more? Five or six times you could have defeated Syria, but instead you can't now. If I was King Joash, I would have walked away saying, this is a little unfair. You didn't fully explain what I'm supposed to be doing. You didn't tell me the ground is symbolism of Syria and the arrows are us striking it and all this other type of stuff. What are we supposed to take out of this? We're supposed to take out a couple lessons. Number one, It's part of our responsibility to learn to listen and to see where the Lord's moving and then be responsive to that. How is he supposed to know? Well, go back to verse 17. The arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria. For you must strike the Syrians at Aphek till you have destroyed them. When you go back and read verse 17, now you can piece together, oh, the ground is Syria. The arrows are striking them. We need to learn to listen. Remember what Jesus said about sheep. My sheep hear my voice. My sheep know my voice. We're supposed to train our ears to listen to what the Lord is saying and be able to say, okay, Lord, I hear you moving. I hear you speaking. I want to walk in this. Number two, what do you see? Strike the ground, verse 18. I should do everything with a full effort for the Lord. Everything. If God says, strike the ground, by golly, I'm going to keep smacking that ground. Because if the Lord is calling me to do it, I want to do it with a full effort. And what I see a lot in my life is a half-hearted effort. Oh, I think the Lord's possibly maybe leading me to maybe do this, and so I kind of go casually do it. Wait a second. In faith, I want to have the confidence of no worries leading. It doesn't make sense. I don't know the outcome, but I'm going to do it. And when I get there, I'm going to work as if working for the Lord, not for man. Bringing this all together, when Joshua is going to call Israel to walk around Jericho six days, one time, and then on the seventh day walk around seven times, blow the horns and scream, he's saying, listen guys, this doesn't make sense. Listen, you don't know what the outcome is going to be because in faith you've got to trust this, but I'm asking you to give your full effort for seven days to do this and trust the Lord is moving and working. If there is something in your life right now that does not make sense, I'm asking you in faith, as long as it lines up with scripture, as long as it's biblical, it glorifies Christ, it may not make sense, you may not know the outcome, but by golly, in faith, go forward, work as if working for the Lord, and trust that the outcome is going to be God-glorifying, even though you don't see what it's going to be. So that is our introduction to get us finally now back to Joshua chapter 6, please. Joshua 6. Any quick questions, comments here about anything about the idea of faith and understanding the faith concept of these walls coming down and what we're going to be dealing with here before we move on? We good? All righty. John? They didn't even talk during that no, they were supposed to um, keep their mouth shut. You shall not, uh, Verse 10, you shall not shout or make any noise with your voice, nor shall a word proceed out of your mouth until the day I say to you, shout, then you shall shout. I know, um, because there's always that one guy that says, can you believe we're not supposed to talk? Yeah, I know, keep your mouth shut. <laughs> You're not supposed to talk. I know, I don't know why we're not supposed to talk. I, there's always that guy. So, yeah, it's kind of amazing. Anybody else got anything here about faith before we move on? All right, let's jump into this. Joshua 6, verse 1. Now, Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. Real quick point about this. Please note accountability. You're going to see some really tough verses here in the book of Joshua. And some of these tough verses are going to be God saying, destroy everything. And you're going to read about people being killed and you're going to say, okay, this is the God of love? Yeah, this is. Please note the accountability. We've already established back in the beginning of the book of Joshua, when the spies went to Jericho, when Rahab, the prostitute, spoke to the spies, she said, we heard what God did at the Red Sea. we Our hearts are melting out of fear of your God. Joshua is, excuse me, Jericho securely shut up. Why? Because of Israel. Jericho knows enough to be afraid of God. But they're not also submitting their lives to him. I firmly believe it would have been different if Jericho would have opened the gates and said, Listen, God's God. We're not. We repent. We're sorry. We want to follow you. Sure, Jericho would still be standing to this day. Because you know why? When you go read the book of Jonah, Nineveh is spared. Because Nineveh repented. So, these guys knew. They chose not to accept or follow. And so, therefore, they will be destroyed. It's not because God is this awful God. God is fair and just. Please note at this point. When Rahab mentions in Joshua 2, we heard what happened at the Red Sea. That was 40 years before. So, for 40 years, they knew and they chose not to accept. That's actually a lot of grace. Please remember that. That's a lot of grace. So, God says, I'm going to come out and I'm going to give you this plan. Verse 2. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king, and the mighty men of valor. It's a fact. I've given it to you. Is that crazy? Paul, when he talks about you in the New Testament, he calls you glorified. Okay, look at the mirror. You don't look very glorified. He calls you sanctified. You don't look very sanctified. But that's how God sees you. He sees you. as just amazing. He sees you through like Jesus' glasses. So when he sees you, he sees Jesus' blood covering your sins. So that's why Paul can say you are glorified and you are sanctified. Because that's the way God already sees you it's an amazing thing so in God's time frame verse two it's like yeah I already gave you Jericho but God it's still standing the walls are there yeah I know but I, but I already I already gave it to you because in faith it's yours it's yours and remind yourself jump ahead to verse 20 real quick so the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets, and it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat. Then the people went up into the city, every man straight before them, and they took the city. How did they take the city? Because God already gave them the city. Please remember that. They took the city because God gave them the city. Please remember Zechariah 4, 6. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. That's how they did this. There is nothing that you and I are capable of doing. And when you learn that, you know how free that is? I can't save somebody. I only can point them towards Jesus Christ. I'm not capable of raising kids in a godly way. i am just I got to point them towards Jesus. I'm not capable of loving my wife as Christ loved the church. I'm not capable of leading a church. It ha- it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So when I read Jericho, it's like, yeah, Lord, this is what you do. You make the walls fall down, and I just go in and take it. God's good. So here's the battle plan now, verse 3. You shall march around the city, all you men of war. You shall go around the city once. This you shall do six days. Six days, one time around. Verse 4, seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpet. Today, seven, seven laps. Verse 5, it shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall shout with a great shout, then the wall of the city will fall down flat and the people shall go up every man straight before him. So there's your battle plan. Seven days, six days, one lap, last day, seven laps, blow the ram's horns, walls come tumbling down. That's an amazing battle plan. It ties into what uh, Renee was teaching on last week with the commander of the Lord's army appearing in 13 through 15. I firmly believe the purpose for this first battle, if you will, Having absolutely nothing to do with the power of Israel is to remind Israel for the rest of the conquest of the promised land is you guys can't do this. That it has to be God. So step one, it has to be reveal that it's me. It has to be all me because you guys can't do it. Now, we have to stop right now and note some symbolism here going on. Eleven times in this chapter the word seven is mentioned. Eleven times the word seven is, is mentioned. Now, there's something called numerology that you can study out the number patterns in the Bible. Now, be really careful when you're looking for number patterns. Some of them are there, and, and you got to stop and say, okay, Lord, if you're mentioning the word seven eleven times right here, and this is repeated many other times in the Bible, what's the pattern? Don't ever force a number pattern, though. Don't ever force it. Let the Bible speak for itself. You start seeing a pattern with seven. And generally in the Bible, seven shows some idea of, of completion, if you will. There's seven days of creation. It shows a completion. We just got done studying Revelation. There's seven seal judgments, seven trumpet judgments, seven bold judgments. It shows a completion of, of judgment. You see seven times around here, Jericho. It shows the completion of God's work. According to the law, you couldn't sacrifice an animal until the eighth day, it had to have seven days before it could be sacrificed. It shows the animal is complete. And we could go on with other examples here. But the number seven seems to show some type of completion. So therefore, this idea of the repetition of seven seems to show this completed idea that God is in charge, He's moving, He's working, and He's going to take care of these walls, and they don't have to worry about it. It's like God is saying, I'm going to do this all on my own, not with your effort, to remind you, for the rest of your military campaigns, it's got to be me. So what happens here? Verse 6. Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. He said to the people, Proceed and march around the city and let him who is armed advance before the Ark of the Lord. So it was when Joshua had spoken to the people that the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord advanced and blew the trumpets and the Ark of the Covenant the Lord followed them. The armed men went before the priest who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard came after the ark while the priest continued blowing the trumpets. Now Joshua had commanded the people, saying, You shall not shout or make any noise with your voice, nor shall word proceed out of your mouth until the day I say to you, shout. Then you shall shout. So he had the ark of the Lord circled the city, going around it once. Then they came into the camp and lodged in the camp. Can you imagine that? Okay, guys, get ready. And we're going to march once. Okay, now go back to camp. Well, let's do it again. Verse 12, And Joshua rose up early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. Then seven priests, bearing seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord, went on continually and blew with the trumpets. And the armed men went before them, and the rear guard came after the ark of the Lord, while the priests continued blowing the trumpets. And the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. So they did six days. There's a lot of faith going on here. And what's going through these soldiers' mind? I don't know what's going through their mind. We've got to be careful. We don't want to think too much. But I can only tell you what I think would be going through my mind. For six days, I look at those really big walls. <laughs> for six days, I'm thinking, oh my, it's there. I, I, I need to get around those walls. For six days, I'm thinking, can't we just start the battle and get it over with? I mean, I don't know if you're like me, but for me, waiting is the worst part. Let's just get it started. Let's just get going. Because once it gets going, for six days, don't you think the Lord's working on these men's hearts, saying, Do you trust me? Do, do you trust it even when it doesn't make sense? Do, do you trust it when this is just really a strange battle plan? I don't know about you. I wonder what the people of Jericho felt. There's this army coming towards them. They come. Don't you think the people of Jericho are ready? They're armed, ready to fight? And Israel circles around once and leaves. Day two comes back, leaves. Day three comes back. Don't you think Jericho taunted them, yelled at them? I don't know. Maybe they didn't. But for six days, God asked them to have faith and trust. Look at those unbeatable walls. Look at that difficult thing and trust that the Lord's going to do it. Sometimes people will come to me and they'll have an issue. And I get it. The issue is tough. It is difficult. It is difficult. And and it's a stress. And let's say it's three weeks ahead. And they'll come and they'll say, okay, here it is. I got the medical test coming up. I don't get the results. I got this issue. I got this thing. I, I don't know what to do. And my response usually is, boy, God gave you three weeks to pray about it. He's giving you time. He's giving you time to pray about it. He's giving you time to get fasted up. He's giving you time to get ready to be in the scriptures. He's giving you time. He could have just said, army, go to Jericho, and within seconds the wall comes down. He could have done that. But for six days, he's saying, I'm getting you guys prepared. I'm getting you guys to get focused, to get ready, to trust that I'm the one that's going to do this amazing work. Verse 15, it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early, about the dawning of the day, and marched around the city seven times in the same manner. On that day only, they marched around the city seven times. And the seventh time, it happened when the priest blew the trumpets, that Joshua said to the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the city wait, the walls are still up. I know, but you got it, it's yours. Now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction, it and all who are in it. Only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all who are with her in the house. Because she had the messengers that we sent. Remember that from Joshua 2. She saved the messengers, and she's faithful to the Lord there. And so therefore, as long as she puts the scarlet uh, um, rope out there, they will see that and they'll rescue her. We'll get to her in a little bit. And you, by all means, abstain from every—excuse me—from the accursed things, lest you become accursed when you take of the accursed things, and make the camp of Israel curse and trouble But Please note the repetition of that word in verse 18. Abstain from the accursed things, lest you become accursed when you take of the accursed things. This would be idols. And I bet they looked good. I bet they were gold. I bet they were silver. I bet they were well-crafted. If you ever study out Isaiah... Isaiah goes in mocking detail to these people that make their own idols. And they would carve them. They would whittle them. They made them beautiful. And they would set them up. And then Isaiah mocks them saying, wait a second. That same wood you just made an idol. The rest of that wood you're going to cook on now. You're going to burn. It makes no sense. But here you are. You're going to walk into this town. This town is yours. And you're going to see gold and silver. Dare we say souvenirs. All over the place. And you're just going to say, oh, man, I want that. Because at the moment, you're just going to take that. We were getting ready to cross the border to come back into the States. And if anybody's ever crossed the border before, you know, it can take a long time. Bree told us uh, the longest she ever had to wait to cross the border was nine hours. Nine hours. So thankfully for us, it was less than an hour. We did get in trouble. They said, did you have any produce? And we had uh, apples and oranges or something. And so we said, apples and oranges. And they said, yeah, you can't bring those into the States. And we said, well, we brought them, bought them in the States. They said, yeah, once they cross over, you can't. So Don says, just pitch them. We don't want them. And the lady was really nice. She goes, yeah, sorry, you can't. you got to go to agriculture inspection now. So we went over to agriculture inspection. So we hand the guy and he said, he said, take them. Actually, we said, eat them. They're really, really good. And we gave him the box. And they said, yeah, sorry. And you're going to have to get out. We have to search your vehicle. Um... And we said, we have five boys. We've been traveling for five days, two weeks in Mexico. And it's like, well, you got to search it. So, you know, but anyways, the point is, while we're waiting in line, just tons of people come up to you. If you've ever, just tons of people come up to you. And they're always selling you something. You know, it's your last Mexican thing that you can get. And the one guy was trying to sell us Mexican blankets. And Bree told us, she goes, "Uh, check the label. They're made in China. (laughs) Mexican blankets made in China. So we're waiting there, and I mean, it's just a steady stream of people coming up. The guy comes up, and he goes, hey, half off. I said, I bet you every day it's half off, isn't it? Isn't that just what it is? Then he puts his head in the window. Hey, boys, you want this, don't you? I mean, it's just this constant, get a souvenir, whatever. And so I look at these guys going to Jericho, and it's like, oh, that looks really cool. Who wants a Jericho blanket? My wife would really like this. Hey, that's a nice chunk of gold. Well, you're going to find out in Joshua 7, someone takes a chunk of gold. And there's going to be deep ramifications. The Lord reminds us in verse 19, All the silver and gold and vessels of bronze and iron are consecrated to the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. Verse 19, it is all God's. You didn't make the wall fall down. You didn't do anything. We're collecting this money because it's the Lord's. Does the Lord need money? No. He's going to use it for other stuff, but it's the Lord's. And I tell you, just look at verse 19 and just remind yourself, it's all the Lord's. You're just a steward. I mean, you get that paycheck every two weeks, it's the Lord's. That house, it's the Lord's. Your vehicle, it's the Lord's. It's all the Lord's. And when you get that mindset that it's all the Lord's, oh, okay, it's actually very freeing. Because it's all the Lord's. Verse 20, So the people shouted when the priest blew the trumpet. It happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet. The people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat, and the people went up into the city. Every man straight before him, and they took the city, and they utterly destroyed all that was in the city. Both man and woman, young and old, ox and sheep and donkey, with the edge of the sword. Amen. Verse 22, But Joshua had said to the two men who had spied out the country, Go into the harlot's house. And from there, bring out the woman and all that she has, as you swore to her. And the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father and her mother, her brothers and all that she had. So they brought out all her relatives and left them outside the camp of Israel. Once again, remember, they said, you put this scarlet rope, we will get you saved. And you're responsible to get as many people as you want saved in the house here because you took care of us. Verse 24, they burned the city and all that was in it with fire, only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and iron. They put in the treasure of the house of the Lord. And Joshua spared Rahab the harlot, her father's household, and all that she had. So she dwells in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. I think verse 25 is pretty cool. It kind of gives you a little bit of a context when Joshua was written. You know, Some people like to come back and talk about how the Bible or these narratives and stories that were written hundreds, maybe thousands of years after the fact. No, verse 25. The book of Joshua was written while Rahab was still alive. So, hey, you want to hear the story of Jericho? Go talk to Rahab. She'll tell you exactly what happened. That's pretty neat when you stop and you think about that. And I think it's important to remind ourselves on Rahab a little bit here, too. I know we did a teaching on Rahab a few weeks ago. I just want to remind you on a couple points with Rahab. She is mentioned in Hebrews 11 as well, in the Hall of Faith, which is amazing. She was a harlot. She was a prostitute. She's mentioned in Matthew in the genealogy of Jesus. Because she's a picture of grace, God's grace. And and if you follow it out, she goes and marries an Israelite by the name of Salmon, S-A-L-M-O-N. So she stayed in Israel. Well, if you follow the genealogy, they had a son who was the name of Boaz from the book of Ruth. So that means Ruth's mother-in-law was Rahab. And you've got to remember that Boaz was David, King David's great-grandpa, which makes David's great-great-grandma Rahab. It's just amazing that in David's genealogy, the man after God's own heart, whose son Solomon built the temple, his genealogy has a Moabite in it, Ruth, and has a Jericho prostitute in it, which is in the genealogy of Jesus. Is that not a picture of grace? And it's just neat when you put that all together and you just see the Lord and what he does. Verse 26, Then Joshua charged them at that time, saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord, who rises up and builds the city Jericho. He shall lay its foundation with his firstborn, and with his youngest he shall set up its gates. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame spread throughout all the country. Don't forget, chapter breaks and verses were not initially in the Bible. If you were just reading this straight through, verse 27, So the Lord was with Joshua and his fame spread throughout all the country, but the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed things. See, chapter 7 is just a continual flow. And, you know, due to time limitations, we we can't get right into it. But I want you to let you know, chapter 7 is just this continual flow. Don't take anything. It's all the Lord's. Well, there's this one guy by the name of Achan that takes something. And there's ramifications to this that we'll have to get into next week. Okay, a couple points to finish up, though. Uh, Verse 26 is kind of important. Can you go with me to 1 Kings 16? 1 Kings 16. Joshua charged them at the time, saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord who rises up and builds the city Jericho. He shall lay its foundations with his firstborn, and with his youngest he shall set up its gates. 1 Kings 16, please. Note the faithfulness of God's word. First Kings sixteen verse thirty four. In his days Haiel of Bethel built Jericho. He laid its foundation with Abraham, his firstborn, and with his youngest son Sagub, he set up its gates according to the word of the Lord which he had spoken through Joshua the son of Nun. We don't know exactly what that means. It could mean that during the destruct excuse me, the construction of Jericho, that these kids died, or it is not uncommon that And archaeological evidence has shown us this, that if you were building something, be it a business or a great tower or a town or a wall, to show your faithfulness to your God, you would sacrifice your child and put their bones in it. It was not uncommon, I believe it was the Assyrians, that when they talk about offering up your child to Molech, that Molech was this statue, and he had two arms out like this, and they would set the statue to just level of heat that you can't imagine where the arms were burning red, you would take your live child and set it on there. And the child was sacrificed. And what they would do is they would beat drums to take away the screams of the child. And so what would happen then is once your child is dead and has been sacrificed, you would go collect what's left over and you would go take that and go build that into your wall to basically show I'm going to let nothing get between me and my God, and I will sacrifice my kids for success and life. And guys, we're really not that far off from that today. We just don't call it Moloch. We kind of call it abortion, that we'll sacrifice kids. And so what happens here in verse 34 is you see, and we don't know the details It looks like he could have taken his kids and sacrificed his kids while building these gates and building these foundations. It was prophesied years early in Joshua that that's what would happen. We're a sinful group of people. Thank the Lord for his grace and mercy, and we just got to be careful. What I want to finish up with this, though, is this. It goes back to what we said at the beginning. It's about faith. And what I want to finish up with here is we're going to have a time of prayer at the end. And if you are struggling with anything and you, your faith is not there, I just want to remind you of the disciples saying, increase our faith. I want to remind you of that parent with their child saying, Lord, help my unbelief. And we're going to have a group time up here of prayer. We want to come just lay hands on you and just say we're going to pray for faith. And you know what? Think back to what we said in Hebrews 11. Uh, without faith it's impossible to please God. We must believe that God is and He's a rewarder of those that diligently seek Him. We want to diligently seek Him because it's by faith these walls came down and the Lord did this first to teach them, to show them you have to trust that it's Him. He's the one that's going to do everything. If you go back and look at this battle plan you say, what did the Israelites actually do? Six days they walked and kept their mouths shut. Day seven they walked seven times and yelled. That's really all they did. So, and if you go back to what did they yell and what did they shout, uh, the Lord says, right, excuse me, um, in verse 16, shout for the Lord has given you this city. You know, I, once again, I don't want to infer, I look at it as a shout of praise. You know, Lord, this is what you're doing. And, you know, for seven days we've waited for this. And, Amen, Lord, you're moving. Just remember the beauty of faith. You just trust Him when you don't know the outcome, you trust Him when it doesn't make sense. And God honors that, He truly does. Any final questions, comments here about anything here before we close up? Arv? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it, we, it, we gotta be a little careful with that because we don't want to start trusting outside sources. But back in the nineteen thirties, there was a guy that actually went over and they found where Jericho's at. And, you, and Jericho still exists today. It's not if you look at Jericho, there's numerous Jerichos. You have the biblical Old Testament Jericho and you have modern day Jericho. They're a few miles apart. The guy that went and did in the 30s, the archaeological archaeology, excuse me, of Jericho said that when they found the walls that they fell flat, that there are two walls. This is what he said. There are two walls separated by about 15 feet in between them. That's why it says that Rahab had her house on the walls. And so basically people lived between the two walls. They would just build a platform across and they would live there. And if I remember correctly, what he said from an archaeological standpoint, the outside wall fell flat this way and the inside wall fell flat this way. And according to him that you can go and literally see that the walls just fell down, just like that. But once again, I, you know, that's, that's an outside source from a guy back in the 30s that went and did the archaeological dig. If you want to go study it out, you can. I've made a reference to this book before. There's a book called Haley's Bible Handbook. Haley's Bible Handbook. And when you read it, like if you go to like Joshua chapter 6, uh, Haley does a really good job of saying, hey, here is some archaeological evidence of this. Here are some other sources. And it, that backs up what the Bible is saying. But, but once again, I always try to remind people, we don't believe this happened because some guy in the 30s discovered it. We already know it happened. It's just neat when you see that happening. So going back to your question, he says the outside walls fell out and the inside walls fell in, and they just kind of fell over flat. Um, if I remember correctly, there were 15 foot across is what it said. Um, trying to remember what he said. 30, 30 foot high? I think he said 30 foot high. I can't remember off the top of my head what it was. But I do remember it was 15 foot across. I think it was about 30 foot high. which is some decent sized walls when you stop and you think about it. Very decent sized walls. Anybody else have anything here before I close up? All right. Hey, would you guys stand with me so we can pray? Lord, the word for tonight was faith. You have proven yourself again and again and again. Help us to walk in that faith. Help us to believe that you are a God that if we diligently seek you, that pleases you. You reward that, Lord. And we're not looking for the reward. We're just looking for the closeness with you. Whatever we're facing tonight, help us to trust that if you have parted the Red Sea, if you've created the universe, you have been faithful to get us through that, you'll be faithful to get us through what we're going through right now. Help us to walk in that faith. Help us to trust and believe that you're moving and working. And, Lord, thank you for your grace and mercy with the Rahabs of this world. We're all a Rahab here tonight, and your grace and mercy just works in us. We praise you for that in the name of Jesus, in your name, amen. Don't forget meetings Sunday um, concerning Rich. Some guys can go help in the back. Hey, if you want to pray it over, come on up. We'll get a group up here. We'll lay hands on you. We'll pray and uh, give it over to the Lord.